it's uh, funny because instead of getting like more uh, acceptable and accessible, we get more extreme and we seem to be accepted more as we go along. Welcome back to We Are The Fall. Today we're going on an hour-long journey into the psychic landscape of um, hexes, <laughs> witchcraft, things will be induced. I don't know, I was, I was listening to this album today when I was walking around, and it's basically, in Austin, it's like the the changing from fall to winter right now. And I know in Chicago, it's pretty much winter <laughs> right now, right? It, it, yeah, it started just about two or three days ago. It finally actually got to be about 20 on it for a regular basis. So we're enjoying that. So today we're doing the Hex Induction Hour by the fall. And when I was listening to this album again today, walking around, I was thinking, is there a prime season for listening to the fall because we have the literally we have the fall and on this album we have the fall um playing songs entitled winter so you got two of (laughs) we got two of the options but today it felt especially appropriate yeah i mean i i think they are a better inside listening yeah I, i listened a lot you know, in the summer, this getting prepped for this and, you know, headphones, cutting the grass, being outside on a, you know, on a small speaker. And I, you know, I don't think you get the, uh, <laughs> yeah, you don't really, you know, get it. You get a lot of noise and you get some lyrics in the background, but you're not really experiencing, you know, the art side of things. So <laughs> I, I think, yeah. you know, it, it is nice to either have, is the, is have, the, is the fall meant to be, um, Leisurely. I don't think it's supposed to be leisurely, leisurely at all. Like even, I mean, you know, cutting, mowing, mowing grass is work, but I don't know if that's the work that, you know, Mark and the gang are, are instilling in each other and in the music. <laughs> and it's also, it's also not very warm music, right? It's not going to be summertime music. Mark Mark is also always wearing a suit. So that's not... Yeah. That's more fall. That's yeah. more fall attire. Sure. And I think even just the weather in Manchester probably affects him a little bit. Just that, you know, it's not a very... Uh, yeah. Nice, nice weather city. Uh, yeah, there's some overcast. The harsh light. Rainy, drizzly. Yeah, the diffused light landscape. An, indu- uh, an industrial industrial background. <laughs> industrial estate. Yeah. And also, I always picture with the... And actually, we're going to get into it on this album. On the, on the A side, towards the end of the A side, are very urban songs that are of very much of Manchester. And when I hear these songs, they're... I, I think of like a blue tinted like urban landscape like Michael Mann film like uh, and like a Chicago in general too like hard, cinder block solid concrete building structures brick any 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 sort of season where you're gonna be inside or you're outside but you have to be in the elements. Yeah, that might be say, best. A little, a little bit uncomfortable. A little bit uncomfortable, exactly. 
yeah. a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit on edge. If you're not already feeling the anxiety, the, the some music will help you take will help take you there. Today we're gonna be talking about the falls fourth, fifth, depending on how you count it, uh, studio album, Hex Induction Hour, where Mark and the what what we we have come to agree is one of the better, if not one of the best fall lineups. Um, making an album partially in Iceland and partially in the UK and of making a really interesting album that is very rewarding once you kind of give yourself over to it and allow it to crack open a little bit. Um, what, are, what are your overall feelings about this one? It's a it's a noisy album. There's a lot of like a lot of keyboard that goes on throughout the whole thing. Mm, it's kind of yeah. like making noises in the background that everyone else is just kind of playing on top of. Um, not very many backing vocals either uh, for most of the songs. I mean, at least not yeah not that are contributing that much. They're more just kind of again like a, like the keyboard, just kind of noises in the background versus contributing a lot to to the lyrics of the song yeah and we get mark um doubling his own vocals i think um at some points and also not even doubling them up but kind of creating layers of his voice over himself which is cool which we get into and then this is the album where i feel like well at this point Mark is pissed off. Mark and Kay are pissed off with Rough Trade Records, their label, because they feel like they're not being supported or they're somewhat um, being clumped together with other bands that they consider shitty bands <laughs> that don't, shouldn't probably deserve the, um, the kind of support that they're getting and they're getting clumped into it and not getting the support where they think they should be you know, as usual, Mark thinks they should be at the high tier, which which they probably should be, um, especially if they're going to be working on and developing this album, which is uh, potentially could have been on Rough Trade. But um, the relationship was falling through. Mark's getting upset. They're not getting supported or the accolades that they deserve. So they go on this ice, uh, tour in Iceland and... This guy who's basically sets up the tour for him just by meeting Mark and Kay says, "Go come to Iceland. We will. I'll set up a tour for you, and you guys can play shows." And I think they played only like three shows, which probably is sufficient for the population of Iceland. And they played a couple of shows, and then they played like a matinee show, which was two. They said uh, mostly kids, <laughs> which I would love to have. Uh, seen what that experience was like for the kids reactions but so they made this they're making this album they're over there they're not really considering making the album but they said oh well, let's just record while we're here and they record two songs that end up being on hex induction hour hit priest and i think jawbone and the air rifle and then another song that becomes a single and they record in this cool they call it like a cave. Well, I think it was a cave, uh, like studio. And it was supposed to be like really, they said it was nice. They said it was very classy. It had like a, a grand piano and the acoustics were really awesome. And they got this studio and they're used to being in not the best studios. And also when they were in the studios, they were only booked for what, like a couple days and they had to get everything done. So they got the studio and they were like, oh, it actually sounds good. And their boy, Grant Chobiz, <laughs> he gets he gets them um, going and he actually starts to try to make the fall sound better by making them more isolated in their recordings and using microphone techniques. And I think on those tracks that they did in Iceland are some of the best ones that are on this album as far as sound, um, the, capturing the fall sound in a cool space. 
it's called Hex Induction Hour, and it's almost exactly an hour long. And this is Mark cramming, as usual, as much music as he can on the record, almost to where it's physically impossible for them to cut the record. And one of the mastering engineers in the UK, or actually I think a lot of multiple, said that they wouldn't cut the, the vinyl because they said they they just didn't want to deal with it because it was too difficult to cut that much music onto one record, which which is cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, as as always, right? We're gonna fill it up and, get, and press the limits, right? See where see where it can really where where the final line is in the sand. I I almost wonder when Mark had the concept that this was gonna be. You know, he did he come up with the title Hex Induction Hour, and then he's like, you know, we have a, we have definitely have an hour's worth of music. I'm definitely gonna try to put all this music on there. He also it didn't he he's never really aware or caring much about the limitations of anything. So remember when he, they made this the Slates EP, and then they made it a ten inch, you know, they made it a ten inch record, which the record company is like, we would rather have. Uh, uh, multiple singles or an LP <laughs> so we can actually make money and Mark's like no I'd rather have this be a 10 inch record um, because then it'll be affordable and why not just make it a 10 inch record what's the what's the fucking hold up so he didn't really care about the physical limitations he just wanted it done so apparently they got a guy in the US or they got a mastering engineer to to cut the record so that an hour's worth of music could fit onto a record. And typically a record only holds about like 20, 22, 24 minutes uh, on a side. So they were really pushing how much, and that's gonna take the fidelity down, which I think for the fall sake, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> no. I mean, a lot of talk is given to this album because it was recorded in Iceland, a few of the songs. But Iceland had a prohibition on beer for a long time. And for some reason, <laughs> that's on, that, uh, uh, that I'm not clear on. And I think a lot of, the, a lot of people that visited there and um, lived there were also unclear about. But so when the fall went there, the first thing that they experienced was they got off the plane, they went through the, you know, the security check and the guy that was setting up their tour, the Icelandic guy, I wish it, I forgot his name, but he was like on the other side of the glass and he held up this sign and he pushed it against the glass and it said, buy beer, <laughs> it said buy beer because that was the last point where they could buy it at the duty free before they got into, you know, the city, or I mean, just left the airport where they could actually buy beer. So they just spent every single pound that they had together to buy as much beer as they could <laughs> before they left the airport. And then after they left the airport and got to the hotel, I guess they, they a, a bunch of other Icelandic uh, uh, individuals that were going to help out were just sitting around like, uh, can I can I get one of those? <laughs> Since we can't get the, can I, uh, you mind if I have one of those uh, beers? So they said that they just went through it like within the afternoon or the evening or whenever they got there. And that actually caused some effects too. Oh yeah, I, could, I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine they didn't like that drying out feeling. Mm. Well, the thing was they could get spirits, right? They could drink spirits, they could drink, you know, hard alcohols. But even Mark was like, Marky Smith was saying something like, it was fucking awful. I had to, you could only get like a pint. I would have had to drink a pint of uh, peach schnapps. <laughs> so that's what he was working with. And, and Paul um, Hanley said he had like the worst hangovers ever because they're used to just drinking, you know, just like a shitload of beer. And they're, they're drinking spirits every night. Yeah, I'm pro probably some some bootleg homemade stuff. Yeah, probably some bathtub wine, whatnot. Yeah, probably. Um, so that that so they had that experience, and then they overall they said, 
oh, just being in Iceland was a weird vibe because the people, they they said they got like well received for the most part. Um, they were like on the front of the newspaper as like the band that was coming to Iceland and everyone should see it. Um, they were well received, but they said the Icelandic culture, the people, it was a weird vibe to them where it was something like along lines of they said it was like us versus them and they said that actually worked out well because the fall was always us versus them so it was kind of like the same kind of mentality just that they were experiencing and not the most fully welcoming but overall they said they said it was successful and it came out with this album so um let's jump into hex induction hour let's start it up yeah i was gonna say yeah, so it was released on March 8th, 1982, recorded in September of 81 in Iceland. Two songs. Two songs on this album, and then one extra song they recorded that was a single um, that they used as a single. And yeah, a lot right. of these songs, they were playing live, right? And we have an episode, the live tour they did right before this, or relatively close to this in america you could tell that these songs were developing along that tour and they really are get, hitting a point where the band is so tight and they're laying these songs down that they were so they're just ready to do it and then there's a couple songs on this album which are just the, as fresh as they could be where they actually in one instance they actually record the song and never play it live, which is super rare for the fall. They record it live in one take in the studio and never play it again successfully. So that's also interesting. I think that's enough background. <laughs> Let's go. Number one, the classical. The classical. The classical, one one of the fall's undisputed classic tracks. This one starts off with, I think very fittingly starts off with Mark yelling at the listener or the made-up audience and berating them. Yeah, yelling at the audience or yelling at the, the antagonist and yeah in a satirical try way to grab your he just likes to grab that attention right like this yeah what? why did he say that what is he talking yes. about is he talking to me yeah what's he talking about <laughs> is he telling me to do something or not that i'm not doing something or i'm doing something yeah i mean i almost take it he's t he's calling out like a record executive you know this is almost part of the dispute of between him and Rough Trade Records getting on the record, as he usually does. <laughs> he wants to put it down on record. You know, talking about, you know, token individuals and mindsets in the record industry where he's not getting his respect as usual. Can't get no. He's got a message for him. Yeah, it's a message. But then he's also saying, I never felt better in my life, which is a great line of deflecting. <laughs> even though he feels like he's getting constrained a little bit or a lot he's still like well fuck it i'm still gonna make sure i'm i'm getting what i need so i can move forward yeah he seems like he he feeds off of that too the oh yeah for sure all against me i'm i'm out here on this island by myself i'm the only one who really gets it i'm the only yeah I'm more yep. creative than all of you. Yep. There's a couple instances on this record where it's him, and especially when we get into the third track, where it's him saying more or less, everyone's trying to Im imitate me, but no one's really appreciating me. <laughs> so, you know, what do I got to do? I guess I'll just keep on teaching you how to do this the right way with the band. 
Yeah, with the with the musicians didn't write in the music. Well, I well I just write these lyrics that carry carry you onward and forward. This one is one of the best leadoff tracks that the fall has in general is because it sounds live. I mean, it's recorded live, but it sounds like it could be part of the opening of a show. They've already done a, cu- a couple full-length records. They've done a couple live album compilation albums, and they've done a couple EPs. So now this is where they're kind of hitting their stride of of more or less, now let's do something that's real unique. Let's do something that really impresses us instead of just impresses... I don't think they were ever trying to just impress the audience. They were trying to impress themselves. But this is the point where they're kind of like, oh, we're actually musicians now and considered musicians. Let's use the skill sets that we have to make something that's really just our full, you know, the voice of the fall. And I think that's what you get on this album and especially on this first side, which I consider just like almost perfect first side of an album and the classical is a great way to start it off get the live edge get the energy and then go into a song that they've been playing live for a long a long time before they record it properly it's been on peel sessions it's been on live records that are recorded before they recorded this album um, that'll come out around the same time and Shall we get into Jawbone and the Air Rifle? Here we go. Song number two. Let's go. I think this is a great second second song. Just the the speed of it gets you sitting on the edge of your seat again. And classical sounded great. Was 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 that classical fall sound? And here we go again with with them pumping you up. Yeah, and then remember on the first couple albums when when we were just discussing how when they figure out how to change tempos. It was really like a big jump for them, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, songwriting wise. And then on this album, you're going to get all sorts of tempos, which really just is like shows that they can just sprawl out whenever. And especially in this song where it just the bottom drops out of it in the middle. It is like a chorus, but it's not. It's another verse for him to have another part of the story, but just changes and deflects the tone slightly. Why do you think they brought ham? Harm. That air rifle. This is the hunter that's going out in search uh, of something that he can't find easily at home. And I like the the line, carries the germ of a curse of the broken brother's pentacle church. (laughs) It's the start of the being the the curse of the hex, you know, the hex play is coming coming upward. This is, to me, the first fall album that is uh, as close as you can, can be to a concept album. The other ones just seemed, up to this point in, in the discography, seemed like a collection of songs. These songs on Hex Induction Hour seem very much like, not even the sequencing, but they're all related not even the story, but it's almost like they're all related in some sort of weird dim- dimension. There's a connection. Yeah, where a lot of the other ones, it's like, well, this song is ready to go. Put it down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've been playing this one for a long time, and this one is next on the list of oldest songs. So we're going to do it. <laughs> and, you know, maybe they did that consciously or not, but, like, they did save some of these. Like, they've been playing this yes. a long time, yeah. right? Like, so did they keep it? In yep. their back pocket, waiting to to put something, put it in the right spot, which which is makes it sound makes it a complete 
you know, kind of experience. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think because they had these songs that they've been playing for a long time, that they decided that this is the time <laughs> to put them together. And also a bunch of songs that are pretty much brand new that they put together. And then a couple songs that they just write on the spot, which are, you know, not even brand new. They're just on the spot. They said, we need another song, make a song. Let's try to make a song that's like this or that has glockenspiel or that has a, a banjo and then they just make it and they said oh yep that fits that fits there wasn't a set structure to it but it they all come together so well that it seems like it is and also having a couple of these tracks in here that are either two traps tracks put together or two or the same tracks separated or tracks that are edited down from super long which we'll get into as well is it, it's like kind of like the puzzle pieces they were trying to put together to fit it to make sure that everything um, is represented but also that is exactly one hour because that's super important to <laughs> mark that it's exactly one hour long one hour yeah jawbone in there rifle nice yeah nice fast nice fast song you know three minutes Yep, I, I like score. it. Yep. Gets you feeling good? Gets you ready to settle in for another? One, two. Yep. For Hit Priest, coming in at 7 minutes and 44 seconds. This is one <laughs> of the songs that was recorded in Iceland. Yep, this was one of the main ones. And um, there's a sound in here that I want you to see. I mean, here. And see if you can see what, figure out what it is. Jawbone and the air rifle at 3.15. And I feel like it sounds like scissors. The scraping? Yeah. And then at the very end, it's like a spring. It's like a bed mattress spring. What is that? I like that because <laughs> I was listening to the other the other day in my in the car, and I was like, "What the fuck? What the fuck is that sound?" And it doesn't sound like one of Mark's um, no, it's, tape recorder it's, loops. It's, no, it's definitely. Yeah, I can't tell what that is at all. And what can that be? It's like a a rabbit. Yeah, uh, an animal sound or also it does like the of... scraping of bones because he's talking about uh -oh. like, like you know, like scraping. Because it keeps it keeps going from that point on. It keeps repeating mm -hmm. itself. It does. And then it starts sounding like a spring at the end, like a like a Well, if anyone out there knows what that the sound sound is at the end of job on an air rifle please let us know because i would love to know let's get mark's sermon going let's see what the priest has to say today It's such a weird, great song. And it's got to be, he, Mark says this is not about him, but this is, on. this is one where, this is one where it's pretty, it's pretty apparent, right? He is the hip priest. He would never call himself that, though. No, he would never call himself that, which is why he always <laughs> deflects it. it. Yeah, and denies it. But this is definitely, he's the hipster priest, you know, like he is, 
the guy, and even he's to say that the the rough trade. Um, he's like those art school, like those fucking art school, basically like yuppie people that work at Rough Trade. They 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 would come up to me and tell me that an idea for an album that I should do and tell me what I should be doing. He's like they don't they don't know what the fuck I need to be doing. <laughs> so this is kind of him like, yeah, he needs to teach. He's the teacher, you know. He's the preacher. Also, he's hypnotic. Yeah, and they they take their time on this song and just slow you slowly take you into it. It's a perfect evidence of them playing so many shows together and being so tight that they were ready to record this one. Because remember we were listening to this one um, as the live recording? Yeah. And it sounds good. And even as the, it's even on a, or not Hit Priest, I was, I was going to say it was on a Peel session, but that was Jawbone. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the same, the same situation, right? You get to hear it in different forms going, actually, in Paul Hanley's book, he says, I kind of don't like it. There were so many live recordings of this song, and then we did it like so well on the record, on the actual record, that I, it's kind of uh, unfortunate that you get you hear it progressing. You know, you kind of see behind the scenes of it forming. But I like that. I like that you can see all the different um, iterations of it before it gets to basically the quote-unquote, you know, solidified version. But we know it's not because then they're going to just keep going further with it as they play more live shows. But it is great because you can tell they were playing it live so much and they didn't really have a feel of when it was supposed to, you know, ebb and flow. And then on this version, it's like almost natural. They know when Mark is getting worked up and then they know when he's going to go into his whisper, drop it down. Yeah, there's a, there's also some great lines in here. I think they're little shout outs to like Chris Christopherson because he says, I got my last clean, dirty shirt out of the wardrobe, which is pretty similar to a Chris Christopherson line from Sunday morning coming coming down, which I know he was Chris Christopherson fan. So it makes sense. But this has such dynamics, you know, and a piano, like an actual piano that sounds like a piano like not not a not oppressive key noise keyboard noises i think they said like they went into the the studio and they saw this nice ass piano and they're like oh we're definitely going to use this does anyone here know how to play this <laughs> instrument <laughs> no okay we're still going to use it this is the album i also feel like where mark riley goes off on these keyboards like it kind of takes the reign of the keyboard duties like from the from the far out you know just you know riffing just to riff to really melodic i think he does a really good job anything else for hip priest yeah i think time to go do some laundry all my clothes are dirty <laughs> gonna go have a long draw and uh do the laundry okay let's go <laughs> Who's Dan, by the way? Mm. I'm not sure. I'm just gonna assume some uh, an author. <laughs> okay, so we're halfway through side A, and these songs coming up right now. We're going to Fortress slash Deer Park, and then we're going into uh, Mirror Pseudo Magazine <laughs> editor. Uh, I'm assuming that's what it is, and then we're going into the first winter, the first part of the winter track. But I guess these these three tracks together and i would even put four if you if you split up this uh fortress and deer park these ones together are so good this is like a suite for me like this is a suite of songs that all go together they're all very much of a british urban perspective that i really like as an american listener this is what i like to hear is like a guy that's very urban who doesn't like going to the country talk about country stuff <laughs> stuff in a very a very pissed off way <laughs> not even pissed off just like oh did you do it <laughs> you know did you go out there i like that mark didn't drive anywhere he didn't go to the country he didn't want to be in the country 
and I like that he's he can write about it so well. <laughs> All right. Let's roll in the fortress. So I believe they played Deer Park on one of the Peel sessions, an early version, and it did not have this kind of impact. Pairing it up with Fortress, come on. Carl Burns drumming, as usual. This was also the point in the fall where, because Paul Hanley couldn't go to the U.S. on that tour because he was 17, (laughs) when they came back, he was kind of, you know, he was kind of behind the eight ball a little bit because Carl's like, oh, yeah, Um, besides all the songs that we've been playing and getting really tight on, there's also these new songs, and you got to learn how to play them exactly like me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or at least complimentary to me. And it seems like he was all for it. I mean, he's 17 years old, and he he knows that Carl Burns is a fucking awesome drummer, and he still does. So he's like, eh, I'm going to try to keep up. But it comes across. Yeah, they definitely play off each other well. And this one they recorded in the UK. This one was in Iceland, right? No. No. We got Mark Riley playing great drone keys. I prefer these when he's using the keyboard just as single note drone, just as another layer of texture. It's not too busy. If you get too busy, Mark is, Mark's words are so busy, you don't want to get in the way of that. So something simple like that is great, along with the chugging along of a nice Craig Scanlon guitar. And there's points where he even changes up, like, you know, he's like, you get hypnotized by the two notes and Mark's uh, lyrics going over the top. And then there's times where he just like misses it, kind of, he misses the note. And we hear that sometimes with Steve Hanley's bass. I think even on the classical, he tries to play a bass solo and he does not hit it or he hits some off notes and they just left it in there and it still sounds good. It actually sounds better. Sounds better than if he hit all those notes. But you know what I'm saying? It sounds better because it was like, they're like, no, I I actually went for it. Yeah, I was instead of playing it safe. And we no, we weren't going back. We weren't weren't going going back into it. We're not over dubbing that. That's what really gives it that that live feel even when it's not live as like yeah. most other bands would have gone back through and edit or re- redone it done a lot of these things and yes decided yeah. no no that that doesn't work at all take that out completely like yes yeah i mean when i'm listening to this like any of these first tracks when you're hearing the band playing together and they are just really going for it as like a take you know and there's little flubs or something there that makes me want to that makes me want to make music because <laughs> i'm not listening to a fucking polished thing that's so overproduced where i'm like that's inaccessible or you know it's so that's so beautiful but it's inaccessible to me so i'm not going to even think about you know how i could do something that's that impactful because <laughs> it's almost not real yeah, no, it's not. You know, it didn't happen immediately. Yeah, yeah, immediately or easily, right? Yeah. It was not that it needs to be easy, but no, it it takes the it has to be natural, though, right? Yeah, natural. <laughs> it takes the rawness, and it just just so polished that you don't. It does. It loses that the feeling behind it sometimes. Yeah, definitely for sure. 
Yeah, you can't imagine a guy just or a girl sitting there and just shredding it up on the guitar when it's when it's perfect, right? Like no. Especially when you get towards the end of uh this track, Fortress in Deer Park, where the guitar is just coming in with this snarl where it's been typically chugging along the whole song and then it, out of a sudden it's just going off the rails and getting that grind yeah faster i mean i feel like this whole song is just like faster like right you're hearing it right now faster 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 yeah, yeah. it's like it does not take many breaths uh, for the last five minutes of this no. song no there's even like some pseudo drum fills that are done by one of the drummers. I don't know who, where it's just like a single note drum beat where it just sticks out like it sticks out like a sore thumb where they're like, huh, how are we going to finish this? <laughs> like he's got, they're kind of searching around, huh, how will this end? But they do wrap it up nicely with that, that keyboard drone. And then we jump into, what I consider another part of the suite of songs of the Manchester urban suite is uh, a beautiful rendition of a song, a love letter, you would say, to a uh, music journalist. <laughs> Let's get it. Brain was in his arse. It starts like it's going to be a love song in tone. And then it goes into straight up post-punk art smear. He's just really just taking the piss out of some critic or some writer that he did not see eye to eye with. And he had a, what does he say? He had a beard, which was weird. <laughs> Some time ago here at Ramones in 81, has a Spanish guitar. <laughs> like that, I know that person. Like, I mean, I know that person exists and I know that's a real person. That's a character, character of a. Somebody, someone. somebody he does not like. No. Or not even not like he does not respect and no not no respect is, is tired of getting them actually having their voice heard. <laughs> yeah, because then the Spanish guitar doesn't get far in computer teaching job. <laughs> He's like distilled them down into like they're just into the the physical his, items. His dream girls even his dream girls even a loser. <laughs> I like how he adds father at the end, even though it's not the title of the song. But I think he should have put father at the end of the title of the song. Um, but when I first was listening to when I first heard this song and I was listening to it and I wasn't looking at the track list too much. I thought he was saying um, they see they sued my editors. They sued my editor's father, which I really liked, which I, which I was visualizing really, really well. <laughs> and I really liked that. You know, it wasn't, um, they didn't sue him, like the, the person that's telling, that's narrating this story. They didn't sue his editor. They, they didn't, they sued his editor's father, who I would take it as, you know, the money, the money behind the magazine or the publication, yeah. <laughs> which it. I really liked, <laughs> which is like, he's like three, he's like three, he's three people removed from, from the person that's being actively you know impacted by some action of the being a lawsuit and that and and you know mark is just you know <laughs> a bystander that's just taking it in 
and maybe kind of like reveling in it a little bit in a positive way, like kind of getting off on <laughs> on the magazine, getting getting sued. Yes. But then then some rich, rich fucking dad is taking care of it. <laughs> All right. We have the last last one on side A here. Okay. Winter. Winter Hostel Maxi. The first part of the winter winter songs which i mean I, I think are just the same song but for some yes. reason they decided to yeah. put them on the a and the b side yeah not only back to back but we'll make you flip maybe that was a that was the engineer's fault he couldn't fit them both <laughs> come on you at you are so let's get this get this on side a no can't be done mark if you want the whole hour yeah, I mean, I mean, you gotta do it. I think it works out for the benefit, though, of the album. You know, you got. Would you rather have a winter track that's eight minutes, nine minutes long, or would you rather have two sections of winter? I like the two sections of winter, and I also like the creative name of the second uh, winter, which is Winter Two. <laughs> yeah very very thoughtful makes you flip it over you got to finish the song right i mean maybe it's a callback to crap rap uh too you know maybe they're related in the in the in the song lineage let's just talk about these together and then we can talk about what the album art all right these are nice this is a nice um fall in a slow tempo dirge which i think they do really well sometimes i think they could go a little bit over the top with trying to fill in you know the sonic arena with as much as possible but when they leave a lot of space i think it sounds even even better a simple bass line meandering guitar and they start using reverb. Brand new. Just found out about it. <laughs> There's one thing I was reading that was Grant Showbiz saying, he's like, around the time that I was recording the songs on Hex Induction, he only recorded the Iceland uh, session. But he's like, around that time, I built my home studio. So I was really getting into um, recording things better, you know? And like, he's like, and I became friends with uh mr reverb and mr reverb started showing up a lot more and i started using it and he, he got mark on board you should also say on this album that mark's vocals are mixed in very nicely and we know this is always a key as as, as far as i'm concerned that's one of the main keys of a good if a fall album is good or not is like did they get mark's voice in there so that it's complimentary and also the music complements him in a nice mix so that it's immersive because a little far, too far one way or the other and you're kind of in trouble too yeah. low and that's you just met- not the way to go no i mean that's what you're coming for right and mark's lyrics and you don't get yeah. very you don't get very far with only Mark's lyrics because they yeah. are just so you know they can be so abstract and yeah if, you if don't it, want him to cover up the band especially this band that's fucking so good at being musicians they're so good at at being thoughtful Mark Riley playing a beautiful scale piano synth um, yeah i do like it walking step it's great because it fades out on that a side and then the b side comes in and and it's and it's coming back it's almost like while you were flipping that record over they kept going you know <laughs> and you put it you put the needle on there and you're like oh i just caught up with them again yep there's yeah they're still in there they're still in the speaker playing that playing this for me I could hear the hum of hum of the speakers while I while I took my time flipping it over, and yep. there they are. Here they are. Here they are. Mark Solomon. Also, I I read which I really like and I appreciate is when they did the live record. I mean, they recorded these like 
as live full takes. And so during the takes, like if Mark Riley was playing the guitar at the beginning of the song, he would be playing the guitar at the beginning of the song. And then when the keyboard part started, he would just go over the keyboard and start playing the keyboard. And I like that. It's so much better than being like, oh, we'll just put the keyboard on later. You know, yeah. we'll just overdub it. No, he would. it's a full performance. You know, you go from guitar. When you're done playing guitar, you get that keyboard going. And then maybe you bring back the guitar at the end. But it shows the, the fall's work ethic where it's like, no, if it's not practical, then or if you're, you know, if you're trying to produce it more, yeah, why don't not, you just do it the practical way? Just do it at the same time, right? Yeah, they're not, even, the they're not time. manufacturing anything. There's no. nothing, nothing added for aesthetics yeah. or for, you know, make it something that it's not. Mm -hmm. No, it's purely about just getting that in the moment, that in the moment feel. And it probably makes it easier for them to say, huh, I think we got it, you know, it's done. Let's move on. Instead yeah, of second well, guessing themselves. <laughs> exactly. Or you're even having the option to go back and edit it, right? It was yeah. like, well, that's, yeah. we can either start all the way back at the beginning and do it all over again and hope yep. we don't screw it up somewhere else or yep. we're happy. Yes. No click track, so there's no, you know, it's just pre-click track. And they never really used click track. I think on some of the albums, later albums, they use like a drum machine. So they got into the click track or arena, but they were really trying to go for the pure natural groove, the feel. And also, this is just a beautiful... As far as the fall go, goes, the winter pieces are, these are just beautiful, beautiful pieces of music. Yeah, you could play this for anybody and they, they'd enjoy it. Yeah. This is a meditative portion of the album. It's the reset. You get a little bit of uh, Kay, Kay's vocals too, backing vocals. Yeah, I think she did a little bit of vocals and percussion on this. How about how about the line? The mad kid had four lights. Yeah, so the like, average is two point two and a half lights. The mediocre has two lights. The sign of a genius is three lights. I like that. Whatever that is, I like that a lot. <laughs> There's only one light left. If you're too, basically, if you're too bright, it, it causes problems, right? If you got, if your average brightness, you know, it's, you know, it's average. If you're mediocre, you got a little bit under brightness, you know, it, that's fine. But, you know, the genius is like, there's a sweet spot in the brightness level. There's just a sweet spot in there. And if, and if this is winter, you know, this could be the lights around um, the community in any sort of way. Beautiful. And he has some references to Krakens too, which um, I don't know if he got that from Iceland. That seems kind of like an Icelandic uh, kind of thing <laughs> to get into some Kraken mythology.